0: Welcome to the only dream big podcast, starring your host, Donnie Bedney. Donnie is the president of PSP Metrics and has been in the assessment and human capital management industry for more than 15 years. Get ready as Donnie, together with industry experts, share how you can create better workplaces, improve employee experiences, and ultimately drive change through people. Awesome welcome back everyone to another episode of the only dream big pod i am your host donnie bedney and i am so excited uh to have karen ever with us here today karen thank you so much for joining us
1: i'm thrilled to be here looking forward to our discussion
0: absolutely absolutely so hey we just want to hop in uh, and really get a better understanding, uh, you know, really of your background, you know, kind of what led you to start a career, you know, in HR, and and can you kind of take us back to how you really started working with people uh, in human capital in the first place?
1: I was your normal child that asked why every few seconds and was fascinated by the why behind things, and it would not surprise anyone that I ended up falling into a uh, studying psychology because I was just always fascinated by what motivated people and why they were doing things. I continued that into a master's in instructional design, which is focused on how are you helping adults perform and learn and bring out their best. Um, Ironically, for a long time, my mom had my major written on a piece of paper with her because she kept wanting to tell people I was in interior design, which absolutely not.
0: Completely different. (laughs) That
1: I wish, but no. Um, And so I ended up taking a job right after my graduate degree in this company that now got bought by Hewlett Packard. And in there, we were an internal consulting group to the company, helping. People figure out how to do their job better, how to solve performance problems, how to train, um, basically anything they needed. We said yes and learned how to do it. And so that cut my teeth in the human capital space. They thought, you know, this is really neat. We should sell this externally The problem is when you think of um, people in human solutions, you don't necessarily think of Hewlett Packard. And so it was always this challenge of how do you help them connect to the human side of IT. Um, But I've always worked in this space of how are you helping people bring their best forward and that really focused into leadership development, organizational culture? Um, How are you looking at the organizational systems, the the knowledge and information and tools people are using and the people themselves to set them up for success? And storytelling is the thread through it because so much of how we are informing or influencing or just connecting to each other as humans is through stories that demonstrate what we encourage or discourage. So, it yeah. didn't occur to me until a few years ago that I actually had a career in human <laughs> resources because um, most of the time my, my roles and functions yeah. sat outside of it. But yeah, I've always been in that space.
0: I I, I think that, um, you know, it, as much as we've had, you know, different guests and stuff on here, um, you know, we, we like to say driving change through people, right, is my, is my phrase. And so. Uh, I, I would say that your, you know, career and experience probably aligns arguably the closest um, <laughs> with truly doing that, uh, frankly, of all the guests that we've had, yeah, you know, I'm just so in far. So it's, it's it's really, really cool. Um, but, but you know, it, I, I think it's fair that, you know, driving change through people is not actually, um, you know, uh, HR specific, right? I think that, you know, the, the, what I like to say is that, um, you know, there's a number of organizations, and practically all organizations have consistently attempted to drive change through, you know, policy, right, or procedures, you think about Lean Six Sigma or anything else. And, and arguably, for the rest of our lives, uh, technology will be a significant way that folks attempt to drive change. Uh, but the only constant in all three of those is people. Yeah. And so you know it, 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 is that something that you have found to be true? And once again, as you speak about your experience and all the things that you've done and you talk about storytelling, um, would just be really, really curious to see if if that is also your experience. Um, and maybe you can dive into just a little bit of, I believe that we're just living kind of in a in a very opportune time for organizations to truly embrace the art of storytelling as they're kind of at as we're kind of at this watershed moment in history where they have the opportunity to really change the narrative, you know, push more towards a different vision and mission. Uh, so all of those things together just seem to be a, a kind of a really unique time and would love to hear your thoughts on it
1: yeah, so right now i I own my own company and work with companies and helping them reimagine and evolve their their leaders and their teams. Um I came to this point from being a head of leadership development in Deloitte and a head of culture and a chief Learning officer in General Electric. And in both of those, uh, the reason I think I was in denial about being in HR is that so much of my work was with the C-suite teams on what they were trying to do, and so I was partnering and thinking through how do we best prepare people for what's happening or how are we driving change through people. Um, in General Electric, when I was the head of culture, it was a business that was 90,000 employees in 150 countries. And the only way you were ever going to get change or culture or anything is when each person gets the chance to think, what does this mean for me?" What do I think about this? What do I want to do? Because it doesn't matter what values hang in the lobby or what Mm. you are pushing Mm -hmm. out. It's got to be that choice for each person. So you have to figure out how do you touch each person so they can do that. And I was not going to get 90,000 people in a classroom. And even if I did, that probably wasn't the most effective way. Um, The reason I started to do storytelling is it was a way to touch It was the scalable technology, right? It's the way to touch the ninety thousand. Plus, we have made a shift from probably started in the late '90s into where we are now, where so much of work in up through the '80s was about sameness. Management and leadership was, I need each of you to do the same thing, just at scale. And have it be the same way. And so a leader's job was like, let's just make this happen over and over at scale. And then as we got into the dot-com era, more people realized, oh, you know, maybe these really unique differences and specialties Mm -hmm. and talent should be maximized. And so leadership isn't about sameness. It's about differences,
0: Mm. which
1: is why I think people are struggling with hybrid right now, which we can go down to that in a moment. You will
0: go in that direction. Yeah. Absolutely. But I
1: think yeah. that the, the key in where work is going is how do you connect to differences? How do you amplify differences? How do you build well-rounded teams of differences? Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what the work I've been doing is of how do you help leaders understand that you need to be fair and equitable so that everyone receives the same development and opportunities, but yeah. how do you then connect with them in the way that they need and bring out their differences. And so storytelling is an amazing way to do that because whether I have had the experience in the story or not, it is going to neurologically allow me to connect to it, release oxytocin, gain empathy, like all of these really positive things take place. So um, let me pause there because I know there's like five parts to that question.
0: (laughs) Well, no, I think that I think it I think it's really really good, and and we don't have to. I think you did a a great job of, frankly, answering the the broad question in just a very concise way. Um, as as we think about hybrid, right? Um, you know, folks have asked me, and and on different panels I've facilitated or or sat on, you know, do do we think that remote working, which by the way I think has kind of become like a four-letter word for you know, uh, a lot of executives who haven't necessarily built companies. Um, you know, remote. Um, you know, is it here to stay? Do we have? You know, are we going to go back? You know, to normal, right? We have leaders across the country talking about how we need folks to come back to our downtowns and all of those, uh, all of those kind of things. And it feels a little short-sighted to me. Uh, you know, for folks to believe that when we've had this significant shift in values right and and emotions frankly um, wink wink uh, you know from from people how we're you know barring another uh, unpredictable event um, that sh- shifts those emotions in a different direction uh, whether or not we're we're going to ever you know kind of go back in in that way and so, uh, I like to refer to it as decentralized culture and, you know, w- what are you seeing um, or or maybe even some advice for, you know, some of your clients and other organizations and how to really kind of deal with that. Right. I mean, I, I, I completely agree with you from what you just said. Um, a lot of organizations have kind of attempted to do this blanket, you know, kind of blanketed solution and yet you know now just feels like an amazing opportunity to to hone in on some of those individual strengths that that you know your team has and uh, be able to build something that frankly is maybe the most dynamic and productive, effective, profitable you know organization that folks have ever run uh, in decades
1: yeah. This is my favorite topic, because it's <laughs> just so layered and nuanced. And I think we're overcomplicating it. So first, I don't believe there is ever a going back. Even if companies are mandating that employees go work in an office, okay. we are not picking up with where we left off March 2020. Too yeah. much has changed as individuals, as corporations. Um, I have maintained that culture is not what takes place in the office or what's on the walls or in between the walls. It's in interactions. Mm. Culture was happening when we were working virtually. Yeah. And what happened is it put a spotlight on the fractures in the leadership deficiencies and in the oh. culture. And so the reason so many are so desperate to go back is I don't want to put the time or the work or the investment in fixing our culture, and our leadership, that was a problem to begin with. Mm-hmm. So wow. to me, it's about—it's a lot easier. It feels a lot easier for me as a leader mm-hmm. to be able to walk down the hall and see everyone because sure. I don't have to think so much about differences. I yeah. can just do the management by walking down the hall and I've seen everyone and then I can check the box. But by the way, walking down the hall and seeing everyone doesn't mean that you were doing what was needed. So yeah. it's this, mindset shift that's wrong and those that are just trying to blindly go back and pick up where we left off will continue to suffer because they are not evolving and learning how to fill in the gaps in those holes in our leadership and culture and employees are piecing out because they're like this is stupid I am not <laughs> gonna do this I see what so, this is this is just this is silly and so yeah. I think it's a huge opportunity. It feels hard because Mm -hmm. it's forcing a different style of leadership that probably should have been looked at and been underway. And one of the things we are consistent about as humans is over-rotating. So March
0: 2020,
1: we went on Zoom or whatever our favorite web platform is and everyone was so sick and tired of the happy hours and the whatever like if i have to have another meeting i'm going crazy and and we packed all of our days with meetings instead of like let's just let work done and let's be thoughtful and so now what's happening we are over rotating with everyone's going to be back in the office and we're this is an opportunity to be really thoughtful of when do we need to come together and how so The number one problem everyone has is meetings. Mm -hmm. Number one, everyone everywhere, too many meetings, not effective meetings, no time to work. So, what if you decided, like, we're going to cut our weekly meetings and we're going to do one day a month in the office, and that full day is going to be a working session? And we do nothing but meetings on our team. And maybe there's some check-ins and some follow-up in between. But sure. we agree that one day a month we're going to do this. And that's when we're together. And we clear our calendars. And we maximize that time. Like That's wow. one of 100 possibilities. Sure. And instead of using this as a moment to say, what allows us to do our best work? Or what is needed at this time? Mm-hmm. People are just trying to say, well, if we allow it to be different than it might not be fair and equitable instead of how do we be fair and equitable and do what's needed?
0: Wow. Um, wow, that is really good. <laughs> um, I, I So I've been thinking a lot about this and, and you just have potentially pushed me in a direction on some decisions I'm even making for my own business um because the other the other piece which i think is interesting right and and you know as much as people are talking about office space and you know for anyone that's in a similar boat to me that you know whose lease is like running out and you know thinking about rebuilding office space and making it more collaborative like when people do come in and um we're already hybrid um you know coming in three days a week but we're also about to transition to uh, you know, minimum two days a week, but you can select what days you want to come in um, because, it, you know, some folks on my team, frankly, it, their work at home environment is different than, you know, coming to the office and, you know, whether you have animals or children or if if you don't have a door, um, then I, I know some folks find it a little bit um, difficult at times to be productive. So um, want to maintain that. Um, but what you just said about, you know, the the over-indexing, if you will, of meetings, uh, the over-indexing of, you know, oh well, we can do it virtual, so we can always meet. Um, you know, I think is is so so true because I've experienced that just in my own life and and uh, company. So, um, man, where do we go from here? I, so, it, you know, it, let's go back to storytelling for for a yeah. little bit, right? And and, and but, but continue building on, on literally what you just shared, right? Um, I, I think that as, as you referenced, you know, employees kind of piecing out, thinking about talent currently, right? And the organizations that are getting it right. And maybe you don't have to say any names, right? But I I, I can think of some examples of some organizations that are, and by getting it right, meaning they're willing to be open to mm-hmm new things, right? Yeah. And, and so, and I think that that's really made them more competitive as they think about talent, because they, they are not limiting themselves to a geographic region, which then allows them to go after literally the best talent for whatever their potential gaps are. And frankly, whatever the story is that they're telling about the organization, not only that they are today, but who they're becoming in the future. Um, are you seeing similar things?
1: I think there's a mix. I think those that are saying, you know what, we don't have the answers, but let's experiment. Let's try some of these things and see how it goes. It won't all be 100% successful, but we're going to learn. We're going to try. Like, I think those are finding they have deeper talent pools they have more opportunity Mm -hmm. um i think elon musk came out a couple weeks ago or a month ago or something saying all spacex or tesla or maybe all of his companies have (laughs) to spend a minimum of 40 hours in the Mm -hmm. office yep and at first i feel like that's dated i do understand it i do understand there is It's harder to replicate the bump into someone walking down the hallway when you're virtual still can be done. I've worked with global teams. It can be done. You just have to be intentional. But I, yeah. there is an energy in person. So I do get it. But yeah. what he's saying is we are going to be limiting our talent pool and it's probably going to look homogenous yeah. because people that aren't able to be in the office or can no longer tolerate the commutes and yeah. me, the oh gas
0: goodness.
1: prices and all of that. Like you're, you're just limiting. Yeah the potential and so much of this is just based on what we've done instead of being open to what could this look like? Like I laughed so hard in the pandemic with all of these global companies that kept saying, we have to get back in the office. Ever since I worked at Hewlett Packard, I was working on global teams where I never met people and we worked virtually before email was even coming into being a thing and like, Oh, it worked. So It's possible. It's just mindset. So it's all the constraints that we're putting on ourselves and what we're open to doing. I do think those that are doing it right are finding more loyalty from employees. Mm. To me, leadership and work and all of that is about energy. And if I am um, engaged and I feel valued, I give more calories per hour. I'm not just going to sit there at my desk. I'm going to be more Engaged and interested in what I'm doing. The flip side is I'm also going to be resilient faster. I'm going to go home but I'm going to bounce back from that day because I was doing things that made me feel engaged. If I hate my job, I hate what I'm doing. I feel really depleted. I don't feel valued. That burnout comes much faster. That resilience isn't there. It takes me longer to do stuff. I'm not giving as many calories per hour. And so to me, it's like, how do you make these tweaks so that people can get the chance to bring forward their best each day? And most importantly, in this time of severe burnout, like, find places of resilience
0: yeah man resilience is uh i know i remember it it uh was such a hot topic uh i feel like it it uh in a funny way kind of uh pun intended very quickly kind of flamed out um as a bud uh, as a buzzword uh frankly um where you know some organizations are really talking about oh we just we want to measure resilience and it's like well you know, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily based on like uh, specifically like a characteristic that a person has uh, as much as maybe it's, you know, can we create environments where we support people as, as you're kind of talking about in uh, making it through and being able to bounce back from a resilience perspective. So um, that is powerful, powerful.
1: I'm in the process of writing a book and just had a really um, tough Mm -hmm. deadline in the middle of a bunch of travel. And I have loved writing this book. This is something that is a strength and man, I had burnout for a few weeks. And so this is the thing of like, you can be doing what you love and too much gets in there or there's just too much life or all of that. And you get there and there's a toll on that. Um, And, and that's, Doing something I love. What about the person that's like doing something that's like meh, or yes. no, I do not love this oh, at all. God. That just there's a toll for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you have uh, that is an amazing setup uh, for for where I was taking us next, and so you you hinted at it, and and so you know can 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 you give the audience a little reveal uh, for some of the thoughts and and you know frankly the book that uh, will be upon us. Uh, I believe coming fall of next year. Yeah. 2023. Yeah. yeah. So um, it is
1: on storytelling and yeah. it's evolving the conversation on storytelling. Cause there's definitely been many before me that started it. Um, there's a lot that tells you what can happen when you tell a story, what happens in your brain, but there's not a lot that tells you, how do you then harness that into uh, the story that you're telling? And so sure. this book Um, has what I call the five factory settings of the brain, which outlines what is your brain naturally going to do and behave like, and how do you harness that or navigate it when you're telling a story? I'm Mm -hmm. teaching people how to hack the art of storytelling by really leaning into The functions of the brain that you can incorporate into the way you build a story that's going to make the brain more engaged. So it is a methodical approach to storytelling from the science to how do you use the science to where do you get ideas, what's a structure for it, how do you um, engage senses, how do you navigate Vulnerability in storytelling or stop storytelling from being manipulation um, data in storytelling. It takes you through all of it. And one Mm. of the things I'm doing right now that I love is I've been interviewing people that tell stories in different ways. So a Harvard professor a script supervisor, script therapist at Pixar, um, yeah. one of the founders of Sundance, a neuroscientist, mm-hmm. like people that are in different walks of life, but use stories because I want to show there's so many different ways you can do this. And so each yeah. chapter includes a vignette interview from them, because my goal is wow. to make it accessible and make people read it and, and see, okay, there's stuff in here I can apply and go tell a story with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's so powerful. And I think it, it really ties in to this whole fact that we're human, right? And so you referenced earlier that, you know, whether we're hybrid or anything else, we may have to gather. Uh, and if you think about, you know, our society, uh, prior to, um, you know, social media, frankly, you know, television, um, you know, and, and maybe even going back for some of our listeners who are younger, they may not necessarily remember the radio, Um, you know, but just think about, you know, how uh, so much of our society and communities and everything else were based on oratory, right? And so, um, I know, I know you've referenced, um, you know, just the, the power of the mind to really put us in places, um, you know, or feel like we're in places without actually being there. Um, and so I am, for one, very, very excited about the book. Um, you know, I've learned so much from you just in our pre-talk and, and also, our conversation today, but I would love to get better at my storytelling, uh, both as a leader, but then also even for the show, right? Um, It's just such a powerful skill. Um, What other, you know, just, I mean, any other tidbits that you can potentially share or, or morsels, um, you know, for how folks should be thinking through storytelling. uh, And specifically, as we think about leaders, you know, that, that maybe either want people to kind of um, have a deeper connection to, you know, the mission, vision of the organization, um, you know, a little bit. What? How should they be thinking about um, how they articulate that to, you know, folks who report to them or, or frankly, just across the entire business? <laughs>
1: Yeah, one of the first uh, factory settings is probably the one that people violate the most. And it is this idea that your brain is lazy. And what that means is that your number one goal of your brain is to get you through the day alive. And when you do, your brain's like, high five, do the exact same thing (laughs) the exact same way tomorrow because we know it worked. Because anything different is going to make me have to spend more calories. Exactly. So your brain is using 20% of the calories in your body. And it it's like the stingiest banker. It always wants to have a surplus because it never knows when it's going to have to spend extra calories. Because you are learning something new or different. It's requiring mm-hmm. focus, attention, or danger. Okay. So in storytelling, what that means is you have to make the brain spend calories. So Mm. think about the book or the movie or the meeting where it is so clear where it's going, so Mm. clear. What happens? You check out. Like, "Mm, yeah, I know what this is. Thanks, right? And then you get there and you're like, yeah, thanks, knew it. Um, So what that means is you've got to build and release tension and a story, which means you are including – Not corporate speak, not acronyms, right? You're using language and expressions and metaphors that are intriguing. You're Mm -hmm. putting in plot points that are unexpected or you are amping up the, the tension in the story. You're using really specific details. So. Um, you—if we were talking about dessert, you wouldn't say, "Oh, I ate dessert." You would say, "I ate pistachio ice cream with colored sprinkles." Like
0: mm,
1: specific yeah. details are going to start to engage the brain, and you use the senses. And so, even something as simple as keeping in your mind, when I'm telling a story, I need to be thoughtful about how to not be predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, how often in business do people use the phrase? Um, uh, oh, I just blanked on it the breakfast uh, culture each strategy for breakfast right? Oh yeah, right? mm-hmm. I think I would remember this but yeah, my so brain's good. already like no so no, there's no, so many no, of these definitely. phrases that we overuse that mean mm-hmm. nothing we just tune out when yep. they happen and so mm-hmm. how do you be thoughtful in what you say and not try to settle into the most common corporate speak to mm-hmm. capture attention That's an easy place to start. It does require a little bit of planning so that you're not just rambling and saying what's common. But that's definitely a place that is an easy starting point that makes it easier to um, be more dynamic and memorable in your communication.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's powerful. Um, Yeah, literally just by you sharing pistachio, all of a sudden my mind immediately went to our local ice cream parlor. Uh, And the fact that uh, when my daughter Sophia wakes up, I literally may take her outside and we will walk to the ice cream parlor to get ice cream. Not pistachio, but uh, like it literally took me there.
1: Right. Uh, That's exactly (laughs) what's going to happen when you are more vivid. So I was talking to someone in a professional services firm and she says, you know, sometimes when I'm talking, I'm like in my head trying to think of like, what's the appropriate corporate phrase I should use and sometimes I just don't care and I said you should always not care you don't want to sound like everyone else you don't want to say a culture each strategy for breakfast every day like boring to the brain the brain is just going to tune out you're better to be vivid so I once had um someone volunteer me for work that I didn't want when I was in a corporate role. My boss came to me and said, oh, you were volunteered for this. And I said, I would rather braid my eyelashes. And <laughs> woo, that was like, okay. And I got out of it and it was memorable. And um, the, the specific and descriptive catches attention. And what happens is your brain goes, huh? Yeah. And that's what you're trying to do. You yep. want to make sure that you're not falling into the the corporate speak, but that you are being dynamic. And that can be as simple as a metaphor or a really descriptive example or a detail, or you're unfolding and ordering things in a way that it's hard for me as the listener to assume what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is gold. Um, very, very, very good. Um, I, I, like in my mind now, there's so many of these phrases that I despise that, you know, are coming in like, uh, at
1: the end of the day. Well, who says at the beginning of the morning, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like when was that? Two centuries ago. Like what the heck? Yeah. It's, um, but it's just easier. It's the reason we do is that we don't have to think because if we have to think, but that's the cue, right? If you have to think, then your audience has to think and you're spending calories. And that's a good thing. People say, oh, it's just so much easier to communicate data. And I'm like, just because it feels easier doesn't mean it's being understood. Mm-hmm. And that's the mindset shift to get over in any type of communication. Yeah. People just think, well, you have a natural talent and it's easy. No, you practice this. Yeah, You can, in five minutes before a meeting, be really thoughtful of what do I want my audience to come away with? How do I be thoughtful of that? And how do I plan that? doesn't have to be lengthy, but you do have to put some effort in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, that is so powerful. Uh, as we think about culture and, and talking about culture, I mean, I the amount of leaders that have told me, like, uh, as we're talking about culture or engagement or anything along those lines, who literally re- repeat that canned, like, well, we believe that if we treat our people right, then they'll treat our customers right. And I'm like,
1: or even look at the values. We value trust, yeah. transparency, candor. Yeah. But whatever, they're all the same. They're all the same. But that, the experience yeah. After of After being it with isn't you helpful. for 20
0: minutes, I, I already know that those things are just not true. Because yeah. in this meeting, all you've recited is corporate speak over and over and over again. <laughs> so, yeah. how candid are you really being? Um, wow uh wow, wow, wow. well, um Karen, I mean this is this is why you do what you do. Um, and and frankly, you know I, I just um, we were talking about um very consistently, I've talked about you know the importance of really having a clear understanding of like the current state of the world um, and then using that to push people towards like where they should be in the future. Right. And, and I think a significant aspect of that is folks tuning into your knowledge, wisdom, and just the practical and pragmatic things that you've shared with us today, uh, because the art of storytelling is going to have to improve um, in people's ability to communicate. Right. Um, you know, you spoke yeah, about the, data. It's it's yeah. unbelievable.
1: The other thing that storytelling is going to do is you want to move forward is that it's going to connect individuals to what they aspire to or what they Mm. want to have because so I like to talk about um, one of the other factory settings is that a story will place you in an in-group or an out-group. So the in-group is, oh, I feel a sense of belonging. These are my people. I feel Mm -hmm. a connection. I understand. Or this is something I aspire to. Like I want this. Mm. Or an out-group is no, I am completely different. This is not who I am. And, Outgroups aren't bad. Charities okay. place us in outgroups all the time. Yeah. Sam O'Cleckland used to like put that TV shit, like the, the animals trembling in the cages and they're crying. And yeah. you're like, oh my gosh. Or the the water charity tells the story of yeah. a young boy that like goes to carry water three times a day. And you're like, I go to my tap and get water. So being in an outgroup isn't bad. It's just a, does this feel familiar? Does this feel different? And mm-hmm. when you were talking about the future, you want to lean into either of those because when you're trying to drive change, you are either trying to connect people to the aspirational and where we're going or yeah. you want to make them realize we can't stay here. We yeah. want to leave this place. And so mm-hmm. there's a, the ability to connect people to what can come next can happen so powerfully through stories. Ooh.
0: Yeah. Um, that, and that, that imperative... Um, just literally what you just said just really stuck out to me. Like that whole, like, we can't stay here. Like we have to go somewhere else. And once again, just the energy that even the wordplay, you know, kind of in that just uh, all of a sudden at least invites me to like, this is imperative that we move, right? Like literally lift your foot up. Let's move. Um, that is phenomenal. Um, we have to have you back because uh, we, we uh, unfortunately can't speak all day, um, I will be buying your book. Um, where can folks find you, uh, you know, social, anywhere else? Where Where can they, you know, pre-order the book whenever, you know, whenever that time is potentially, because uh, I know folks are going to want to tap in and, and just be able to tap into you uh, even even leading up to next year.
1: Yeah, so website is the easiest place. It's my name, Karen Eber, K-A-R-E-N-E-B-E-R.com. Two things to check out. There is a book page there that will give you information about the book, when it will be available for pre-order. It is coming out fall 2023. The second thing is to poke around in the brain food section. This is my blog of free resources. You can filter by leadership, culture, storytelling. Mm -hmm. Each one is story-based and has tips for things that you can play with and implement. And so there's a a good library of resources in there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that'll be amazing. And there are some more jewels in there, you all. I have uh, poked around a little bit myself. And after our conversation today, I plan on doing it uh, a little bit more uh Karen just so so amazing having you on uh today and and spending time thank you so so much
1: Thank you for having me such a fun discussion Yeah
0: absolutely and and thank you all for listening you know this has been the only dream big pod and we'll see you next week take care